You're listening to Tech Writer Voices, a podcast for technical communicators. I'm your host, Tom Johnson. Today I'm talking with Kevin Shoesmith, an information architect up in British Columbia. And he's going to talk about metadata and taxonomy and folksonomy and web sorting tools or card sorting tools and lots of other things. So if you want to know more about Kevin, he's online at vencommunications.com. That's a Ven with two Ns. All right. And by the way, if you have feedback on this podcast, send it to Tom at techwritervoices.com or go to Kevin's site and send him an email. Yeah, I wanted to talk today about information architecture because I I uh, I saw on your Expression Engine profile, which is the first thing that comes up in Google, that uh, <laughs> when you Google your name, um, yep. is that you have seven years of experience doing information architecture, information design, web programming, things like that, and also that you went to a university in Scotland. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. I was uh, actually I went back there for a wedding to uh, uh, see my friend get married. Um, he was the fellow that I lived with in in Edinburgh when I was going to university there. Wow. Are you Scottish? Yeah. No, my not no not 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 enough to to actually legitimately uh, claim a tartan or anything. But my mom's side does have some Scottish uh, some Scottish ancestry in it, so. Uh, maybe I can play it up when it's convenient for me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, can you start out by just giving listeners a definition of what information architecture is, maybe how old it is? Sure. Um, I I think the the best definition that I've ever heard, because it's you know it's a it's a very very difficult field to define, but I think the best definition I've ever heard was that information architecture is the art and science of trying to make information more findable on websites and intranets. So in, in, large, in some large respect, it is really the, the art of digital librarianship, where you're catalog, cataloging, organizing, uh, categorizing information in a way that makes sense to people so that they can find what they're looking for really easily. So do companies approach you and say, hey, look, Kevin, our site is, a, is cluttered, it's a mess, can you make it so that users can find things? Is that how it works or what? Um, I, I've actually never been approached for – no, I, I, let me back up and, and correct what I was just about to say. Um, companies do, yes, call me and say, we need – information modeling help. We need help in organizing the huge amount of information that we have on our website. Uh, do you think you can help us? For the most part, I don't necessarily just practice information architecture, strictly speaking. Information architecture and information design are are always a part of the larger projects that I do. So I do a tremendous amount of web development. Um, which is something that we'll talk about uh, maybe in our next session. But I, I use information architecture principles and practices in developing um, the information systems that I develop, whether it be a, an intranet or a public-facing website or what have you. So uh, it is a primary driver of what I do in my skill set, but it always seems to be an element of something bigger, um, like these web development projects that I'm telling you about. So let's say that you have before you the task of creating a website for somebody, and they have a lot of information. Yes. Um, let's say they have maybe 300 pages or something. Whoa. Yeah. 
and maybe that's not very much information. Maybe they have a thousand or whatever. But what what is your standard approach? Do you have a method that you go about uh, organizing this information, or what? Yes, I do. Um, I think if we're dealing with uh, larger amounts of information, and and like you say, you, you know, it might be three hundred pages, a thousand pages. By some standards, that would be considered small. But uh, when you start getting up into you know the hundreds of pages. Uh, it really does um, bear uh, uh, it's it's a good practice to try and chunk out information as best you can through things like card sorting exercises um, uh, focus groups can can occasionally be uh, helpful, but sitting down with um, both users and stakeholders in uh, a meeting where you can share. Uh, ideas about how the information uh, should be organized. It's a good thing to do. Lots of note taking, um, but uh, but doing things like online card sorts and and um, con- and uh, hard copy card sorts are really a, a good way to do it. And that's something that a lot of technical communicators will be familiar with as a, an exercise or practice, because I'm sure that many of your your listeners uh, probably use use the same exercise to a great effect. Is there a particular card sorting online tool that you use a lot that you recommend for people you know the name escapes me just at the moment i i don't um have it right at the tip of my fingers by my fingertips but um i can just do a quick search since i'm sitting at my computer and see whether or not we have anything um that is a there's the first one that came up was www.cardsort.net um, this is a, a user-centered design tool for information architecture. So that um, I've, I've never used this particular one, but uh, this one looks like it's probably a, a reasonable solution. I, I want to talk more about the role of metadata in information architecture. Okay. Now, as I as I understand it, metadata is simply information about information. So, if you like in a library, metadata about a book includes when it was published, where it was published, who by who, and things like that. How does that How is metadata important in organizing information on a website? Hmm. Uh, Tremendously uh, important. And the reason I I say that is because when you ascribe well-modeled and well-considered metadata to information on a website, no matter what kind of website it is, you are giving users many, many more ways of being successful in finding the information that they need to find. One of my recent projects, uh, we used the Dublin Core Metadata Initiative element set to um, create a a lot of information about um, resources uh, for technical communicators. uh, And we employed the the elements of that uh, of that Dublin Core metadata set that we felt would be the most useful in helping people find the resources that would be most useful to them. So you can ascribe, like you suggested, uh, in libraries you have uh, when you have information about a book, you have you know author uh, you have author information, uh, date published information, all kinds of things. But it can go much 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 further and. Um, I guess the the bottom line, to use a terrible cliche, is that you, uh, by ascribing uh, more data, useful, meaningful data to 
the information that you are uh, presenting to people and, and giving them uh, and 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 offering to people, you are giving them um, a, a much uh, you're giving them a much more flexible way to search for the information in ways that are meaningful to them. You mentioned the Dublin Core. I was wondering if you want to just expand on exactly what that is a little bit. I know it has nothing to do with Scotland. No, no, no nor Ireland. Uh, the Dublin Core Metadata Initiative um, is a uh, was a um, it is a standard set of uh, it's a standard set of elements that um, support a sort of a broad range of information in organizations or businesses that uh, help that help people um, architect and model information. Um, there are uh, a number of uh, there are a number of elements in the element set. Uh, that can be used for all kinds of different purposes. Um, you've got um, geographic-based uh, elements that could act as metadata. Uh, naturally, there are dates, there are descriptions. Uh, if you're dealing with multimedia types, you've got uh, different kinds of uh, formats, file formats. You've got language uh, metadata that you could uh, that you could ascribe uh, to things, um, publishers' relationships, uh, rights, the sources of, of information, basic subject, which could be keywords. Um, it, it, but it is but what it but what it has done is it is give every it has given um, the world uh, of information architecture a a ready-made map or guide by which information architects can ascribe metadata to the information. That they are um, that they're modeling or structuring. That, I, I think that's excellent. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, this is awesome that you can apply metadata to all this type of content that you have online. Right. But but it seems like you almost need some kind of uh, system that allows you to tag and add this metadata to your content. If you just have uh, a basic, I mean, if you just have a basic web page. Uh, I mean, what kinds of things support tagging? Mm. Does it have to be something as part of a content management system, or is this, um, I don't know if you have any well, additional insights. I'll t uh, well, I'll, I'll relate my answer to something that you already know about. You are um, a great WordPress user. Um, your sites uh, use WordPress to great effect. Um, whether you knew it or not, uh, WordPress allows you, and, and, and I'll talk about WordPress here in that it's not just a, a blogging tool, but it is a tool that can be used to build larger websites um, that are information-rich and metadata-rich. Uh, so whether you knew it or not, WordPress gives you the ability to create custom fields. So let's say that you're, you're blogging, uh, you enter your title of your entry, you have the body field where you type in uh, the content for that particular blog entry, say. But then if you decided that you wanted to um, provide information uh, about this particular entry above and beyond what's in the content, you wanted to give it some kind of categorization scheme, or you wanted to uh, provide some keywords that would help people search your your blog site or your website with WordPress based on based on the keywords that you've ascribed to various entries, you can create a custom field in WordPress where you could type in 
uh, keywords about that particular entry. You could keep those hidden. You wouldn't have to necessarily display those uh, metadata uh, keywords to your site visitors. But what you could do is when people searched your website, you could allow the search engine on WordPress to search that particular hidden keyword field so that if they were searching for keywords that you know are common keywords people search by, it would return results based on those keywords without you ever displaying the fact that those keywords were what helped drive the results that that particular person was looking for. Is that clear? Yeah, I think that's a great example, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, And and I I am familiar with the whole custom uh, fields and things like that. I just don't use them that much because, uh, I don't know, some things I'm not really looking to make search engine optimized on my blog, right? But but I can see how if you have, like, a product that you're trying to sell, you definitely want to get as much search engine visibility as possible and there are as many well, returns and hits. Yeah, it, it's not, it, it, it applies, yes, both for search engines, but also just internally in, in, the, in the website. I'll just give you an example. For a site that uh, I've, I built recently that was uh, very information architecture heavy, I, um, I helped uh, the Environmental Health and Safety Office of, uh, of one of our large local universities redesign their website um, using one of my favorite micro CMS tools called Expression Engine. And uh, like I say, we'll probably talk about that in, in another uh, session. But what we did, I, I helped them uh, organize their information uh, for that website using, uh, all the, using the Dublin Core Metadata Initiative and uh, standards. And we uh, created a number of customizable fields or custom fields for, uh, for web page entries or for uh, web page content that allow, uh, a very spe- uh, allow people with a very specialized um, taxonomy or, or um, uh, lexicon uh, within, that, uh, within that world of environmental health and safety to be able to search the content on that site with greater success because of the way that we modeled the information and allowed the content creators to ascribe metadata uh, just by giving them a field in which they could type in the keywords that they felt would be effective. So... Um, these are a couple of the examples. I, I like those examples, and I was just trying to think of a couple more. Like, let's say you you have a cell phone website or something, and you're trying to sell cell phones, right? And yes. You could have hundreds of cell phones, and how are you you're going to overwhelm your visitors if you just list them, mm-hmm. right? And so, if you have metadata tagged on each of the products by where they're made, their color, their features, then somebody could enter your site and search for all pink cell phones made in France that have uh, video screens or something. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> that's that, and that's a, another perfect example. And um, a, a, a website that does really well in that respect, and it is it's akin to the example that you just brought up, is um, I don't know if you've ever been to CNET.com. It's a it's sort of like a an electronics review site, and you can search for electronics on that website um, for cell phones, uh, laptop computers, desktop computers, uh, anything uh, at all uh, in any number of ways. So you can look on by product category, product name, like you say, color, uh, what they what kind of features they have. So uh, that, that's one example. Another favorite example I have is, you know, I do a tremendous amount of graphic and information design, and sometimes I need to uh, find, an, find an image that speaks to the design I'm making. So I'll go to a, a website like iStockphoto, 
and I stock photo gives you a, a huge number of ways, without it being overwhelming, a huge number of ways to search for the photograph that is going to be perfect for your particular need. You can search based on color and hue. You can search based on the photographer. You can search based on whether you want a vector image, a black and white photograph, or a full color photograph. I mean, there are just any number of ways. Or you can just type in some wild keyword, like... Uh, you you know you you want to find a photograph of skateboarders well you can do that and it will pull up a huge number of pictures on skate of skateboarders and then you can narrow your search based on a huge number of of metadata criteria it's great it's really good stuff so now in this model the the web designer is the one who's creating these tags that's organizing the information but I know that you presented in in Vancouver at the doctoring conference about a folksonomy where the users get to kind of determine tags what can you kind of outline the difference between folksonomies and taxonomies? Sure, uh, f- uh, sure I can. A folksonomy. Well, let, let me start by talking about a, ta- a taxonomy. A taxonomy um, are a um, a top level defined set of words, terms, or phrases that are ascribed to information. Um, you know, based on whatever research, gut feeling, I don't know, um, that that uh, help uh, the content creators of any kind of content um, organize their information or at least identify it based on uh, that certain set of defined words. The folksonomy... It's, and it's very rigid. Um, it, it's unbendable, and usually it's, it's 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 like I say, it's top level down. So you really have to kind of learn the taxonomy of any given world that you're describing or an information that you're looking for in that world, and you kind of have to you you sort of have to uh, sh- uh, fit into the taxonomy and the descriptions provided by that taxonomy that somebody else has created. The folksonomy is something quite quite new uh, in, in respect to its, um, its recent advent as part of uh, the web's, uh, the new sort of web, worldwide web's ability to, I can't believe I just said worldwide web, but I did, um, that the, it, it, it gives a, um, the world's, uh, the worldwide web's um, netizens the ability to tag information in any way that they want. So, if you've got a tagging functionality like uh, the you know one of the most common ones today is delicious, or you can choose dig or whatever, whichever um, is your preference. You can go to a website, decide that yes, this is something that you'd like to effectively bookmark, and then tag it with whatever word you see fit. So you can largely create your own classification uh, scheme for uh, the web uh, based on whatever criteria or categorization um, schematic that you feel would work for you. Um, It makes things very, very findable for people because people are modeling uh, the information or tagging or categorizing it based on the way that they think. Now, that might not be entirely helpful for you and I, who probably think about the world in as different uh, a way as um, in night and day, but uh, it does help the individual go back and refine things in, uh, in a great big pile of information that is otherwise uh, really sort of overwhelming to navigate. 
you know, another site that comes to mind is Flickr on, yeah. on uh, the ability to tag yeah. things. But now here's a question that just boggles my mind. When you enter those tags, yeah. whether it's delicious or something else, you're limited to one word. You can't have a combination. You can't have a phrase like that. How do no, nobody's come up with a system? Mm. That the, therein lies the limitation of com, of computers. When you uh, that I think is just something that's always been. You you can enter you could enter a phrase if you want, but you have to join it by either a a um, a dash or an underscore. Or something, or string the the string a phrase all together in one word, making say the the um, the the first letter of each uh, word in the phrase a capital, so that you can sort of tell that you're dealing with different words. Uh, computers um, take spaces. They, 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 they if you're going to tag something, that tag has to be a single entity. Uh, that's just sort of how computers understand things. To um, to put a space in between two things. Uh, would 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 necessitate that those two things are different as far as the computer was concerned. And you might ask yourself the question: Well, if people wanted to enter a term or a phrase that had multiple words in it, why not develop a system or an application that, when people put in the space, the computer would automatically do what it needed to do to keep those things together, but to hide that from the user so that they weren't annoyed by the fact that they couldn't enter a phrase like you've just talked about. Well, that's probably coming in the next incarnation, and, and we'll see. I mean, Microsoft and, and other computer systems have dealt with that. I don't know if you remember uh, once upon a time that you you couldn't have, years ago, you couldn't uh, enter a, uh, you couldn't enter a file name to save a, say, a Word document without having it all one word, but now they've you know they've developed uh, the part of the application that allows you to enter different words. But as far as the computer is concerned, it adds what it needs to to keep it all together. I don't know; it's coming. It's a usability issue, but I'm sure it's uh, it's coming in the next incarnation. All right, Kevin. I just have one more question for you, actually, yep. and I'll make this one short because my family just came <laughs> home. But uh, <laughs> um, all right, so you know how it used to be in in kind of the old school of web design where a website would have drop-down menus that drop down like three different tiers <laughs> or they'd have just like these giant hierarchical menus. Do you think those are going out of style? I, You know what? I think that drop-down menus have their place. And I think one of the great places for, for drop-down menus is in forms when you're filling out some kind of online form. But when it comes to when it comes to finding information, when you go to a website, um, it it's a lot easier for you and me and for everybody else that if we have a series of options that we want that that we want to scan or select from, uh, if we're on a shopping and e-commerce site, it's much much easier for the user to be able to see that list at a glance without having to do the extra work of clicking a drop-down menu button. And only then revealing what the options are. So uh, whether they're going out of style or not, uh, maybe not. I mean, you know, they're a great space-saving device. But quite frankly, if you can give your users, without overwhelming them, of course, a reasonable glance at the, um, the, the options that are there for them in terms of the information that they're looking for, then I would say that that you would, you know, as a designer, you would go that route. It just makes things easier. So uh, maybe they were never in style. They just, 